Hey, so we're back into our Good, Bad, and Ugly series. We took a break for the Love Life uh, Sunday. We're going to be back, and we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, several weeks, looking at Abraham and Sarah and that combination. I'm going to read from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, 8 and 10, and I'm also going to read Genesis 12, 1 through 9. And if you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to do so. I'm going to be reading from the NLT. And again, I'm going to read Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then uh, jump over to 8 and 10, and then go back to Genesis and read a little bit of Abraham's story, Abram's story. Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 3. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith, verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And now we'll go to Genesis 12 and read the first nine verses there. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contentment. Contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he had left Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people who had taken into his household at Haran, and headed to the land of Cana. When they arrived in Cana, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the oak of Morah, and at that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him after. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abram continued traveling south by stages to the Negev. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for your spirit that illuminates the scripture to us. Thank you for these men and women that we have read and will continue to read that are considered heroes of faith, Lord. And we look to them as an example, but ultimately as we see that they point to you as the faithful one. So Lord, will you prepare our hearts to receive your word, and whatever I say, I say, and whatever I don't. You don't want me to say, I won't say, Lord. You're so faithful, and we're thankful. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. So I might lose my voice just, you know, from all the screaming and yelling I do, but um, 
but I may. So, Anyway, so we're back on our series, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And really, if you've been with us, here's a reminder if you haven't. The hope here is that we look at the people listed in Hebrews 11 and we look at the good they did, the bad they did, and the ugly that just happened to them, either, either because of circumstances um, or because of the bad that they did led to something ugly. And, and we've spent some time and we've looked at Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And really, ultimately, as has been in my prayer, is really we're at the heart of it, we'll see faithfulness is really based on God's faithfulness. So we're picking up a story of Abram, and forgive me if I call him Abraham and I say Sarah, just, I tried not to, but that's who I have in my head. I'll explain in two weeks why God changes their name, you probably already know, but just be gracious, thanks. So Abraham, there you go begins in Ur of the Chaldeans. And that is now southern Iraq. And it was prominently a pagan city of about a quarter of a million people. And there was a central temple to the moon god Sin, S-I-N. And here, Abram, Abraham's father, Terah, was thought to have been a craftsman of idols. And this is through Jewish tradition. This is what is most scholars accept, that he was perhaps the first craftsman of idols, of idolatry, specifically to this moon cult. And then again, that, that fake god is sin. And this is a, a critical turning point in the history for many reasons. Um, this is where we have just left the Tower of Babel has fallen. We haven't gone over that. Just, just so you know, this is where the tower has fallen. And, and what we know now is that Terah, he left with his family. And it would appear that he went to go to a bigger temple to make more money for idols. So his whole understanding that of Abram's father was, here's an opportunity, a good business deal. I'm going to go make some idols. So he left. He took his family. He was determined to travel to Cana and uprooted, and they left. Abram's dad, again, was a craftsman, and the Jewish tradition was that he worked for Nimrod. Nimrod is in the Bible. Nimrod is probably the main guy who financed the building of the Tower of Babel. He's linked to probably the guy who started the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Essentially, he is the guy who started the big conflict with Israel that we still see today. In Genesis 10, 8, and 12, Nimrod is called the first on earth as a mighty man, God's mightiest warriors, um, the first one. So Nimrod means he, he rebels, we will rebel, and that's exactly what he's done. So after all everything that's happened, the flood, the tower, the tower comes down, God spreads out all the people, changes their language, he's dealing with their wickedness, and enters Abraham. So there's no Jewish people, there's no Israelites at this time. God is now establishing a group of people, the Jewish people, that will eventually bring the Messiah. So Abraham's father, just in case you missed it, was not a believer. He made idols and sold it to people to worship a God named Sin. 
His father had no faith background. And the way that I look at it is God looks down at Abram and says, yeah, I I can work with that guy. So what you'll notice and what I'll try to point out as we go through this is a lot of these people that are considered heroes of faith or the faithful few or whatever you want to call them, a lot of times they do not start with a faith background. If you are here this morning and you happen to be the only faithful person in your family, you are in good company. A lot of times we try to trace everything that has happened to us back to our family origin. Plays a big role, don't get me wrong. There's hope. So, so here's that scene. The scene is, is now Abraham is now moved with his family. He's, he's now settled in. And what we, what we would have read in Genesis 11 is that he had two brothers, and one of the brothers dies. And his son, Lot, now kind of just ends up following Abraham. And if you want to get into the gory details, at least according to Jewish tradition, the reason why Abraham's older brother died is because he had a conflict with his father about this moon god, Sin. And... Um, It went round and round, and allegedly, supposedly, Nimrod, the guy that I had mentioned from Genesis, found out about it and thought, hey, you know what? We're going to throw you in the fire. So he threw him in the fire. Where have we heard that before? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That seems to be a theme. So if that happened, I don't know. Um, Probably makes sense. Now Lot is the responsibility of the youngest brother, Abraham. So... Here he is as he's caring for him. So let's pick up from Genesis 12 and, and we'll, we'll walk through this quickly. And, we'll, and, and really my hope here is we're going to see what God calls Abraham to do and how he is faithful or less than faithful. And here's a spoiler alert. He is mostly faithful with some qualifications. He mostly does what he's supposed to do but he's kind of delayed. Anyone in here ever feel God called them to do something and you kind of took a step? Like that. <laughs> or if you're like me, I asked my brother to go first to see if it was safe. <laughs> well, that was a great many things. Hey, go jump off of that roof and see if you can make the pool. If you do, I'll try it too. Uh, you didn't make it. I won't jump. But that's kind of faith. For many of us, for some of us, perhaps in, in our lives, all of us in some variation. So with this mind, let's have a critical eye and let's pay attention to what God actually tells Abram to do and what he does in response. And hopefully we will be encouraged by the fact, again, spoiler alert, that Abraham's faithfulness is a journey, just like our faithfulness is a journey. But you will see that God is always consistent always gracious, always merciful. Yes, there are consequences, obviously, but it does not disrupt what God plans to do. So with that, let's, let's just take a quick look. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And then he goes on, I will bless those who bless you. And I will be harsh to those who are harsh to you. So what what does the Lord ask Abraham to do? Leave your native country. 
and your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. This is the first of three times in scriptures that indicate the Lord physically appeared to Abraham. Um, he does it in Genesis 17.1 and 18.1. But the Lord promises to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's offspring. And, and he says, leave your country. So even before he understands what he's supposed to do, God says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to leave. Okay, where? I didn't say that. I said, leave. Okay, if I told you we're all going to go to lunch, what's well, the normal question you would ask? Where are we going? And if I say, don't worry about it, just get in your car, you would say, you nut, where's your plan? I'm not going to go. And for some of you, you'll say, I don't care so much where we're going. How much is it going to cost? And then for some of you, you're like, there's too many people. I'm going home and eating peanut butter and jelly sandwich. All right? But if I just say, let's all get in our car and let's go. And, and God bless you all. And me too. We're kind of a little argumentative. What happens if I don't like where you're going to go to lunch? So all God does to Abraham is he says, leave your country. Okay. He said, and then leave your land. Leave what you know. So anytime in the Bible it says, leave your country, leave your land, or leave your house. Essentially what he's saying is leave everything that you know everything that is comfortable, and take a step of faith. Okay? Leave your country. And actually, what we find out later on in, in uh, Acts 7, that's when Stephen is about to be martyred by Saul. He gives the whole history, the whole account of the Old Testament that leads up to Jesus. He mentions that Abram was still in Mesopotamia. So at some point, this, this one verb command to go has already been in his mind. But what's happened is, is Abram has been called to leave. But what he does is he kind of goes with his father. I mean, you got to respect your father, right? He, he goes and he goes with his whole family. Now he's leaving. So now you have to leave what you're comfortable with. And you have to leave your relatives and your father's family. Leave your relatives. Who does he bring along with him? Lot. He's not talking about his wife. If, guys, if you're going somewhere, bring your wife, okay? No, no excuses. But what he's saying is, is leave everything that is comfortable, everything that you know, and everything that has given you an identity before. And that truly is what God is calling us to do when he calls us his own. When he's calling you to faith, he's saying, leave everything that you know that is comfortable and have a new identity in me. So, he says, and, and if you do this, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will become famous, so famous so that right now we're talking about him, the father of our faith. So, the question is, the, the obvious question is, is, do you trust God? Or do you trust the plan of God? Now, I know I'm probably playing with fire a little bit. What's the difference? But do you trust God to take a step of faith or do you trust in his plan saying, I will take a step of faith. What is that step? A lot of times we just say, I just want to be good stewards. I just want to be faithful. 
I'm not sure God is calling me to something, but I'm not sure what it is, and I'm waiting on the Lord. Anyone waited on the Lord forever? But you knew deep down inside it was just take a step. But I want to make the right step. Do you trust God? Or do you trust God so as far as there is an obvious next step? And I know my theme for last year is make your next step an obedient one. I think that's a good one still for this year. If you are unsure of what God is calling you to do next, do the last thing again. That may simply be go home and pray. It may simply be go and ask people to pray with you. But the Lord appeared to to Abraham and said, leave your country, your relatives. Essentially saying, go and then I will show. What what Christ a lot of times asks of us is just take the step and I will show you the path. Because I want you to trust in me and not where you're going. I want you to trust in me and not the steps. Trust in me and not the process. Trust in me, just trust in me. So, his response in verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. Check. And Lot went with him. Almost there. But okay. Let's not, let's not beat him up. He went. All right. So he's, it says, and then Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Haran, um, just to be clear, um, it's also a place and it's also the brother that died. That's a, that's a little confusing I wish sometimes they would just, the Bible would just name people different names so I can keep track of them. But Joseph, which one? Old Testament one or Jesus' dad? Just make up your mind. So he's 75 years old at this time. 75 years old. He does live a long time. That's a long time to wait on the Lord to use you. But he's 75 years old. He leaves mostly. He does leave his country He doesn't leave his relatives. At least in my mind, he's probably thinking, well, I'm supposed to be responsible for Lot. Like, here is my qualifications of why I'm doing what you want mostly, but not 100%. For those of you who are parents, you know whenever you ask your your kids to do something and they try to take shortcuts. I'm sure all of your kids are great and never do that. But they try to take shortcuts. They try to rush it. Whatever it is, hey, go wash the car. And I mean, don't just squirt it with a hose, but wash the car with soap, right? And it's just kind of a, well, I did it. And that's their argument. Well, I did what you asked me to, but did you? So he takes Lot with him. He takes his wife, verse 7, Sarah and his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth. It's interesting, all of his wealth that he has, which is his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household, his slaves, is actually from his father. Because his father was very successful. And he headed to the land of Cana. When they arrived in Cana, Abraham, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the Oak of Morath. And at the time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. These Canaanites would become a problem over and 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 over again. It's interesting when God calls us to do something, he doesn't remove all of the obstacles. He just asks us to be faithful. And sometimes the first obstacle that we hit, we just say, see, the Lord didn't want this. No, he just wants you to tie your shoe. Like, don't be ridiculous. But these Canaanites, so we do not see here, 
He doesn't show up and says, oh, man, there's already people here. He, he's just faithful. He's like, okay, I, I'm following you, Lord. I'm doing what you want. Then the Lord, verse 7 says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. It's interesting. He doesn't say, I'm going to give this land to you. I'm going to give this land to your descendants, which is interesting. I, at least for me, I, I would say, okay, Lord, can you qualify that statement? When you say to descendants, am I, do I get to be a part of that? What does that mean exactly? But he, he okay, descendants, right? Oh, oh, by the way, he doesn't have any children yet. And his response, Abram's response, in verse 7 is, Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had it appeared to him. So the Lord made a promise. Now we're starting to get into uh, the Abrahamic uh, covenant. We're not quite there yet. But Abraham's response is, okay, the Lord has made a promise now. I'm going to set up an altar for him and worship him. Essentially, every time you're going to see Abraham build an altar, build an altar, what that means to us, modernize it to us, is we don't have altars in that way. I mean, we can come up and receive prayer. You may have a prayer closet, whatever. Essentially, what he's stopping and doing is recognizing who Christ is and worshiping him. Because now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have our altar everywhere that we go. So he's stopping and acknowledging that his first step, he just went out. The Lord confirmed it. He's worshiping the Lord. It goes on and says, And after that, Abraham traveled south and set up a camp in the hill country of Bethel, to the west of Ai, to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord. Then Abraham continued traveling south by stages toward the Negev. So essentially what he's doing is he's just walking with his whole family and all of his possessions and all of the servants and slaves with him. At some point, I would imagine, at least, people would say, I wonder where we're going. I wonder what he's doing. I wonder where he's taking us. The first time he built an altar, people probably looked around and said, oh, well, okay, we'll take this place. And he goes, all right, let's keep going. Well, why did we build an altar. Just side note, just considering our walk of faith as we're walking with the Lord. Do you ever wonder what you look like to other people when you are being faithful? Do you ever measure your faithfulness by the way other people respond to your faithfulness? I'm not saying there shouldn't be accountability. I'm just wondering that sometimes, at least when I take a step of faith, I kind of do look back to make sure someone thinks. You can do it. Now, I have wonderful encouragers in my life. I rely on them heavily. But I would just imagine I built an altar. All right, let's keep going. And then the, the, the grumbling starts to take place. I don't know if he knows what he's doing. This guy. Right, the concern. And I know some of you have a different personality where you say, well, if you don't like it, too bad. This is where we're going. Follow me, neener, neener, neener. Like, I know there's different, you know, I don't know who says neener, 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 by the way. Just me. But you're like, I don't care what it looks like. I'm doing what I want to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I would suggest that maybe even those still want to know that what you are doing matters. 
For those of you who have family, you do know that all of the decisions that you make have an impact directly to your family. So you should care. So Abram's partial obedience, I'll call it, did not take away God's promise. You notice that, that God at this point doesn't say, hey, why'd you bring Lot? Now, spoiler alert, part two, we're going to get to it. We're moving pretty quickly through this. But Lot becomes a problem, a big problem. It's almost as if God knew, hey, if you take this guy, it's going to be tough. Because God did know. But this partial obedience that Abram shows does not limit God. It, it, it's, it's still, we're still going to see the fulfillment of the promise. And yet it will be delayed. But the Lord will be with him in that, in that delay. The Lord is so patient. No one is so far removed from his love. But see that partial obedience? Because Lot went with him. Again, this, this partial obedience to Abram. And, and God commanded him, out from your family. I have some right here. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I got to stop. All right. So Abraham takes a step of faith, and it wasn't perfect, but it was a step. A lot of times, we get wrapped up in making sure our step is perfect, and everyone knows about it. Now, I think we typically can take a look of step of faith in one of two ways. One, we are super focused on all of the mistakes, the self-critical ones, or the ones with a critical eye. We look and we're like, well, that wasn't a perfect step of faith. And we look at the person who takes a step of faith with such a critical eye. Yesterday when we were at the prayer walk and I was walking uh, with Misty. Misty is the one who came and shared with us last week. And she, she had mentioned that she was telling a story that some people had mentioned to her, not here from her new, but people had mentioned, I don't like your approach to this ministry. And then she went on and was sharing that, you know, you should do this or whatever. Don't you just love it? This is what you should do. Um, this is... What you should do. And then, but Misty quoted a, a missionary, and I didn't catch his name, but she mentioned that she goes back to what this missionary had said. And this missionary was going around and, and, and very aggressively telling people, the time has come, you got to get right with the Lord. The time has come, you got to get right with the Lord. And, be, and one person in particular came up to the missionary and said, I really don't like that particular, your particular approach. And the missionary then said, Well, what's your approach? To which they said, I don't have an approach. He said, well, until then, I'm going to use my approach. But we, sometimes we look so critically, uh, if only you would just a little bit better. I mean, I'm not doing it. But if I was going to do it, let me tell you how I would do it. And you're not doing it right. Sometimes we look at it that way. So it could be real easy for those of us or you who have this critical eye saying, yeah, Abraham's faithful, but why is he in the hall of faith? He's not perfect. That's the point. That's the point. On the opposite end, sometimes we think, whoa, that's such a huge step. There's no way in the world I could ever take a step. He left his family, his fortune. Be good stewards of what God has blessed you with. 
So when we, when we are looking at this, we just, I, I would recommend, at least I'm saying this to me, I've mentioned this before, I'm preaching to myself and then I look up and you happen to be there. But if this applies to you, be careful in how you view other people's step of faith. It should be encouraging, but it should not be discouraging. You shouldn't be critical, especially if you have not taken a step. So let's, let's continue on. And, and as we consider that, we, we, we'll go now to Genesis 12, verse 10 and 20. We did not read this. I'll, I'll, I'll go through it here. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. So he's now, so Abraham is now being faithful. He's taking his step. He's built an altar. He's worshiped the Lord. The Lord's promised descendants will have this land. And he keeps going. And then he builds another altar. Um, and then he continues to worship the Lord. And then verse 10, and at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Cana, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. So we'll stop there. So this is the first time there's a famine mentioned in the Bible. First time that it's happened. So you see what see, see the order of events? God has called Abraham to leave. He leaves. He's still unsure. He knows that this will be his land. Well, what is this? There's already people living there. What am I supposed to do? I'm worshiping you, Lord. And the very next thing that's happened is a famine struck the land of Cana, forcing Abram to go to Egypt. Now, again, going back to these obstacles, you take a step of faith. You may hit the first obstacle. You're like, okay, I'm still going to go. Take another step of faith. A, a larger obstacle comes and then there's a handful of ways that we can handle this famine, if you will. One, we can assume that we've missed God's calling. Nah, this is not what God wanted. I was wrong. If this is what God wanted, this would be easier. That's a lie. Another way some of us can take it is saying, all right, that's it. I don't trust God anymore. I took my step of faith. He's unfaithful. He's unwilling if he wanted me to do this, I could have just stayed back at home where I had everything. Or the other one is, I will embrace the situation and see what the Lord has for me next. However, Abraham goes down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. That is not where God told him to go. At all. And as you can see, he doesn't consult God. He runs into a hurdle. He runs into a famine. And in his, in his humanness and in his experience, he does what he knows, a good business move. I know we can go to Egypt. Now, a little bit of the history of Egypt, where he goes down to Egypt, is very similar to where he was originally, Chaldeans. had a river running through it. He knew similar hey, I can go and survive and make this. He doesn't ask God, he just does it. Because in his mind that, well, there's a famine, there's nothing here, let's just go to what we know. And then one bad step leads to another. Verse 11, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look at the, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let's kill him. Then we can have her. Happy Mother's Day. That's no, good. Um, so please 
Tell them that you are my sister. That was like a compliment. You are so beautiful, but pretty please, just say you're my sister. Now, technically, now here's the technicality. She is his sister. Technically, they have the same father, different mothers. I know it's weird. Old Testament time, married half-sisters, stepsisters, all that stuff. So technically, he only half lies. What's the problem with half lying? You're still lying. Still lying. So he says, you are so beautiful. So please, just say you're my sister. Now, why would he say that to the Egyptians? Why would that matter? Because in the Egyptian culture, and even still today, you can still see it a little bit, the Egyptians hold a sibling relationship as the highest relationship there is. The second relationship is that with a father and a mother. The third is that of your spouse. So, well, yeah, you're married, but we can kill you, and we don't care about that. But the moment he knows this, how would he know this? He spent so much time, 75 years, being with his father, who was an idol maker, who's one of the greatest people who use idols, the Egyptians, doing business with other people. You just learn their customs. So he knew what he was doing. So he says, just say, please, that you're my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Honey, you're so beautiful. Just say we're brother and sister. And sure enough, verse 14, NLT says, and sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's, Sarah's beauty. Uh, the Jewish tradition at the time spoke of Sarah's beauty as perhaps the most beautiful person who's ever graced this earth. So she was beautiful. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, the king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts of, because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male, female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. So the reason why, why would Abram get so many gifts from Pharaoh? At first, it almost looks like he's buying her, but he's not. The other thing that the Egyptian culture really embraced was beauty. And anyone that was associated with, with beauty deserved a reward. Weird, I know. So much so that you must be a blessed man because the gods has blessed you with such a beautiful family. I'm going to give to you in hopes that I will be blessed. So that was the, that was the culture. So, so far, Abram's doing okay. He's, he's lied. He's gone where he wasn't supposed to. And then things fall off. Verse 17, but the Lord sent a terrible plague upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Stop there. How did, how did Pharaoh know? Most scholars believe that the God spoke to him directly, just as God has spoken to other pharaohs directly. See, that's the thing, too. I think we can get caught up in, in assuming that people who do not have faith, who do not have our faith, they are off limits to God, for God to use them, which is not true. So he spoke to Pharaoh. First, he sent the plague, which we see that in Exodus coming up. Sent a flag, so he demands to see him. Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, 
Here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. Word for word, what Pharaoh tells Moses, get out of here. So the assumption is, is he, like he said, I was going to take her as my wife. God would have struck me down. Why would you do this? So much so in verse 20, Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them out and sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. So you see how one sin leads to another sin? It's like when you lie, then you have to lie again because to cover up the lie, then the lie, then the lie, then the lie. This is a man of faith. This is the, the, God used him as the author of our faith. And yet, he learns a valuable lesson from this. One of the lessons is, is check in with God regularly when there's a change of plans. Check in regularly. I think sometimes it's so, we default to what we know. Oh, I know I've done this before. This is how God's gotten me out of this. Goes down to Egypt, then he starts to lie. Then he's only looking out for himself. This idolatry of self is kicking in. He's just looking out for himself, and then he leaves. So just quickly going back to verse 20, Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them and sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. Do you know who ends up being one of his possessions? His... Sarah's maidservant, Haggai, who ends up being the mother of Ishmael. He, he's bringing the consequences of sin with him instead of leaving them alone. So he moves and he moves on. And, and he's, he's, the, the, this is what I wrote. I'll just read it in just a straight line. How many times do I try to be obedient by still being in, but still be in control? How many times do I try to be obedient but still be in control? Again, he doesn't consult God. He doesn't check in. He just makes a good business move. Many times I hear people who are moving. If you are currently moving, I'm not directing this at you, but perhaps it could be to you. Typically when people leave, it's for a better job. It's for more money, a better house, a better schools, better last few years, people are leaving California for a better state, et cetera. Perfectly fine reasons. And I do wonder if sometimes we forget, and this is someone who's moved quite a few times in my life. I do wonder if sometimes we make our moves and count up the cost of money over the cost of our spiritual lives. This just makes good economic sense. I'm going to make more money, like I said, better schools, better, better. All those are perfectly fine. So one of the questions, perhaps if, if you're considering moving or if any of you are moving, do you know what church you're going to land at? Do you know the group of people? Do you know the neighborhood? Do you know the spiritual climate of that? And just, just considering that, so just... I think it's 11. So just quickly move. Just turn the page. Genesis 13. Abraham leaves Egypt. He travels north to the Negev along with his wife and Lot. Lot's still hanging around. And all that they own, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continue to travel by stages towards Bethel. The, the, it's mentioned in stages. It's, it's telling him he's continuing to be faithful, not all, at, not all at once, but one step out of time. That's how we're sub, supposed to be faithful. Then, uh, verse 3 continues on, they pitch their tents between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This is before the famine came. 
It's interesting. It's almost at least the, the way that I picture it is they come back exactly where God had been waiting for them. This is where I told you to go. I've been here the whole time, and God is so faithful and patient to allow us to come back to where he wants us. He says, now I can use you. We don't know the time frame exactly. It appears it's roughly a year or two. Don't know how long yet, but it's been some time, and he goes right back where he was, and look at verse 4. It says, this was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshiped the Lord again. Don't be afraid to go back and worship the Lord even after you blew it. He wants you to. The scariest thing you can do is think the Lord wants nothing to do with me until I get my act together. No, the best way to get your act together is go right back to the last place God had called you to be. So, just quickly, verse 7, so the dispute broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot, and at that time the Canaanites and Prezites were also living in the land. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate it. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. And if you prefer the land to the right, I'll take the land to the left. Notice that. So now this person who wasn't supposed to be with him, they're outgrowing the land these families are starting the feud. The herdsmen are starting the feud. And Abraham's response is, is, you pick whatever you want. You choose. You can have it all. Stuff is not more important than our relationship. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Sometimes we hold on to things because we think we deserve them over a relationship. So he says, you take it. He did not say, hey, by the way, God promised my descendants this land, not yours. I'm the elder statesman. You need to move on. No, he's very gracious. And he says, you choose. We won't read it, but what we will find out is Lot takes the choice land, the beautiful land, also known as Sodom and Gomorrah. Oops. (laughs) He chooses based on what looks good, Lot does. And then Abram doesn't want a conflict. And we'll pick up where that takes us next week. But God comes to him and says, okay, I'm going to give you this land. He doesn't say, by the way, you remember when I told you not to bring him. And Don't think I forgot about what happened in Egypt. So this this faithful journey that we are on is, is one that is a journey. And as we consider our own faithful journey, just some questions just to consider. Where are you at? What was the last thing God had asked you to do? And have you done it? If you haven't, Are you willing to go back to that last place that you worship the Lord? See, God loves us too much to allow us to take shortcuts in our lives. He'll go right back to the last place and wait for us as he pursues us. Again, notice Abraham ends up right back where he left off. 
Abraham should not have used the blessing God had brought him to justify himself and what he wanted. And even though God is great enough to bring good, even when we disobey, there's still a cost built into disobedience. And I just, just a quote that I saw from Guzik, he said, David Guzik, he said, Abram's unbelief took him from his place of worship. It led him into sin and caused him to lead others into sin. It made him more confident in his ability to lie than in the protecting power of God. It even broke apart a family for a while. And finally, even an ungodly king rightfully rebuked him. And it reminds us that we must deal with our sin. It is important to take serious the inventory of what we have actually accumulated during this time of sin. And quickly, in following Christ, we have to let go of what we find is comfortable. And he will become what is comfortable. Essentially, it's exactly what God told Abram to do at the very beginning. Go, and I will tell you. So I don't know what it is that God is telling you to do, to go. But I promise you, God is faithful. We're going to have a few songs, and we're going to receive communion together. You are invited to join us for communion if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. We'll have a couple of songs. Some of the guys will pass out the elements and we'll receive the elements together. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for this time that we have in your word, Lord. And, and you know, we're moving quickly, Lord, but yet we just see the faithfulness of you in Abraham's life, Lord. And we see the faithfulness in you despite the disobedient steps in Abraham's life. And yet, he is the father of our faith. You chose to use him to bring about our Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah. So Lord, what a great comfort it is to know that we won't get it right every time, even though we should desire to. Lord, and and that's not an excuse to sin, by no means, you say. But yet, you can use us, and you are faithful, and you will be waiting at the last place you asked us to take a step. So Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, to recognize and remember what it cost you on the cross for us to be faithful, will you just speak to us, Lord? And as we continue to sing more songs to you and worship as we have worshiped you in song and fellowship and in your word, we just again prepare our hearts to receive communion. Thank you again for your faithfulness. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.